Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Ernest Klein's 2011 sci-fi novel, Ready Player One. Let's strap on our school-issued haptic gear and log into the Oasis. Copper key unlocked. man here we are ready player one i am so excited to talk to you about this book yeah i'm excited too man i i, I was so excited I, I am so excited to hear what you think about this book um i felt like a lot of the references were gonna we're gonna hit home for you and i had a lot of fun so i guess i'll say right off the top i have read this entire book before um but you haven't you know you've been reading along but uh, yeah like this book is really fun it's just like i've seen it described as a beach read which you know that means it's like easy to read, you know, you do it while you're at the beach kind of thing. Um, that it's this like geek, holy grail kind of book that if you're not a geek, maybe you won't enjoy as much. I can see all of that, but hey, I am a bit of a geek and uh, I don't mind a good pulpy beach read and I enjoy it, man. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. And, and like, you're definitely right in thinking that like, it's, I mean, it's pressing all the right buttons for me as far as references and all of that go. But it's not just the references, like the the actual story it is really fun to read. And, and yeah, it might be something that's not the most, you know, deep and convoluted and crazy thing. But it's like, the things that, that I like, in pop culture, and in literally, like every form of pop culture are like, being referenced, whether it's like name reference, or like homage to like something that happens. And I don't know, I find it really fun. And also, it's fun because like, you know, I, I get most of the references, but every once in a while something will come up and I'll be like, I don't know that very well. And then I'll look up, look it up or look into it and be like, now I should, I should definitely check this out. <laughs> yeah, that's cool for sure. And I feel like one of the secret, uh, perhaps motives of, 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 uh, Ernie Klein here is to get people to, to go out and experience a lot of this stuff, just like Halliday. Yeah. Hold on to the, hold on to the eighties, that whole, yeah. his whole childhood. I mean, I feel like there's a certain there's there was a certain amount of buzz coming into this being adapted. And I remember when the book came out, I was I was excited to read it, but I, I never really got the chance. But since then, there's like this there's good buzz because people really do enjoy it. And then there's a certain buzz where it's like negativity towards it being just like reference porn. So it's just like nonstop references. And that's all that there is to this. The experience that I had with the material beforehand was hearing a lot of people say those things. And then hearing everybody say, oh, it's really fun, but it's definitely like a lot of references. And so as the promotional material for the movie started coming out, we were getting close to doing this project. I kind of had, I was like tempering my expectations. And since we've started this, this story, it's like, I mean, it's awesome, man. It's like, I shouldn't have been worried because like, this is like, you can be kind of like jaded and think, think about these things as like just straight up references. But like, these are the things that formed me and the things that I liked to do growing up. It's not just references to me. It's moments of childhood and moments growing up. And I love it. Well, we fall into the target demo of this book. You know what I mean? Like Definitely. it's, it's aimed right at us. And it's the stuff we, we grew up loving. I mean, you're maybe a little young, I would say would be the only thing, but I know that you love a lot of 80s movies and stuff to where it's gonna it's still gonna it's still gonna work for you. Yeah. 
there's definitely stuff that that passes me by because like i just caught the very end of like the arcade generation and i started playing consoles and and um those movies i've gone back to see and stuff but like those you know those arcade like machines are aren't as easy to get your hands on to play like classic games and stuff so i've definitely played a lot of them and and a lot of the references i get but speaking of like getting references there was a game that i hadn't played before and uh we went to ground control which is like a bar slash uh, arcade yeah it's an it's an arcade it's a bar it's both um it's here it's here in oregon it's here in portland um james was just visiting me and you know for the first time really and uh we i took him out to that and i knew that joust uh features prominently in this in in this book so we went and played some games of joust which uh which we'll, i'm sure i'll share the post uh the pictures here actually probably before this episode comes out so you'll have seen that if you follow us on social media um and yeah, I, I I thought it was a lot of fun that we were able to hit some of the some of the games that are referenced. There was actually more that we didn't get a chance to play that we could have, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. And 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 my knowledge of actually sit, I playing that was my first time playing Joust with you, and so now I just know way more about that game. I mean, those classic games like you have to take them for what they are, and they're always way harder than like especially arcade stuff. Because it's meant they're meant to be quarter eater, so you just pop a quarter. And yeah, they, die. yeah, exactly. They're really tough, and so there's like a, a steep learning curve. But then you kind of get the hang of it, and it's a fun time. And it was awesome because it played that that game plays into this first part here, and it was a lot of fun to just be like, oh man, I totally know what he's talking about. Yeah. So before we get any further, I think I should stop and kind of explain what this podcast is for anybody who maybe is checking it out for the first time. Um, we track a book to its you know film adaptation, sometimes new, sometimes old. Um, so in this case, what we're going to do is three episodes, one for each part of this novel or each level of this novel, as it's called. And then we'll move on. We'll go see the new movie and we'll, we'll put an episode out uh, dis- discussing that. And we're, th- we're planning for it to be four parter. So it should be a really deep dive and we can just really get into the into everything that happens in this book and and get really granular with it. Yeah. And you had mentioned, um, I just want to agree with you about the about the fact that we are absolutely the bullseye for this demographic. Like, um, yeah, this is like absolutely 100 percent not going to hit everybody the same way that it hits us. Um, But if you were if you did grow up similarly to Luke and I, then then I think that you'll definitely enjoy a lot of this. And even people people who didn't necessarily there's going to be plenty. There's plenty of references. So you're going to enjoy those moments and callbacks. Yeah, I think there's a lot in here to enjoy, regardless of who like who you are and what your background is. Um, But it's just still going to be a different experience. But I did want to speak to that a little bit because in general, I immediately got very strong Willy Wonka Chuck, you know, Wonka and the Chocolate Factory kind of vibes from this book. And it, you know, it was interesting to le- to read later that that was definitely the kind of the the impetus for it. Um, we'll get into that. I have some bio stuff we can talk about. Um, but yeah, and so I want to say that like, even though that is in and of itself kind of a reference, the plot of this book is really, is really to me, it seems unique and innovative. So it takes all this familiar material and it wraps it up in a story that is um pretty unique and pretty original so i i want to give him some credit for that you know what i mean like it, right. I, I think he gets leveled a lot of criticism at him for not coming up with fresh ideas and just just like referencing a million things and i don't think that's fair yeah that's i think that's kind of what i was trying to get at um with like the idea that there's more to it than just the references I totally agree like yeah. it's it's there's a good story in here as well. It's a good story, period, and I enjoy the references, so it's amplified by that fact. 
but I think that it's just solid storytelling. Like I didn't see a lot of it coming and, and like, it's just, it's a pretty good story. Cool, man. All right. So before we get into the specifics and we start doing our kind of chapter by chapter, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Ernest Klein. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So Ernest Klein was born in 1972. So he was eight year old, eight years old at the dawn of the eighties. So he grew up in the eighties for sure. That it was his like, you know what I mean? That was his, his, his formative years. There right. we go. Just for context, I was, I was negative three when the eighties ended. <laughs> yeah. And I was born in 85. So I, I, I kind of grew up in like the shadow of the eighties, like the, you know, as it was starting, you know, I grew up in the nineties. Right. So I will say that I think a huge influence on my eighties love is, are my parents. So my parents right. grew up in that generation. Well, you know, my parents grew up at the beginning of that, that generation really coming in. And I, I mean, I played Atari and I played like NES with my mom growing up and my dad like loves eighties music. My mom loves eighties music. So, right. Yeah. My, my, yeah, my dad had an Atari that I grew up playing. And so I played a lot of these really old games um, I remember being just, uh, you know, yeah, a little kid with my brothers and, and playing these old Atari games before we even had a, uh, a Nintendo, you know, Nintendo one or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So back to Ernie here. Um, there's not, I mean, there isn't a ton about his like personal life. Um, the one thing I was able to find is that he worked for a long time as a tech support. You know, that makes sense. His favorite video game of all time is called Black Tiger. Wow. Um, also uh important i saw an interview and i'm always interested in story seeds i think we've talked about it in our annihilation episode but i like it's it's always cool if i can hear something like what the original idea was Mm -hmm. and he revealed in an interview that at his technical support job he was spending a lot of time thinking about the future of the internet and he started to believe that it was going to evolve into something that was a virtual universe sort of a cross between world of warcraft and facebook and so when he started to imagine that he pictured a Willy Wonka esque like creator who would design and build this game, and then the idea of him holding a big contest to find an Easter egg was kind of what grew out of that. And then there you go. That's the that's the story seed that 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 did everything. I mean, that's yeah. He's not wrong. Like I feel like that's definitely it's we're we're heading towards this. Like this, there's so much escapism that people want. There's so much conglomerate companies coming in and and basically becoming the the leading force in the world that people are just going to be like at some point people are gonna be like fuck it i'm not gonna leave my vr and we have like vr chat coming up we have vr gaming and it's like it's on its way yeah i mean and the world has changed changed dramatically in the seven years since this book was released too you know there's been huge strides in a lot of these areas and 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 we should definitely talk about that i i think i i absolutely think that you know this kind of thing is coming Um, This book is set in 2045. It's worth noting. Um, So it is kind of near future, um, but only 27 years away from us right now, you know, Mm -hmm. so within our lifetimes, you know, Um, he also wrote. Now, this is gonna be interesting. Did you did you ever see the film Fanboys? Because he wrote the screenplay for that. Yeah, I have seen that. Did you know that? I didn't know he wrote the screenplay. No. Yeah, so I I haven't seen it, but I guess it's about like Star Wars fandom or something. Yeah, so it's it's um three guys on a quest to go see a premiere of of Star Wars Episode One. So like Phantom Menace, after loving and growing up with the original trilogy, and kind of the adventures and hijinks that go on from that. Yeah, so he wrote that before he wrote this novel. So he he wasn't a complete unknown. 
You know what I mean? Before this. In 2010, he sold Ready Player One in a bidding war to Crown Publishing Group, a division of Random House, who uh, we just partner, or we are currently partnering with, to give away some things. Uh, we gave away two books already, copies of this novel, and then we have some, we have five posters that we're giving out for people who sign up to our newsletter. So if you're hearing this and you haven't signed up to our newsletter yet, do that and you can enter for a chance to win one of those uh, one of those movie posters. Yeah, there's definitely still plenty of time to sign up. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, I, I mean, win in a bidding war between different publishing houses is like, that's you know what I mean? Like that's music to a writer's ears. You're just like, yeah. yes, that's what I want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a bidding war over your work is just like, that's always great. That's a, a wonderful thing to happen. Then even better, the film rights to the novel were sold the following day to Warner Brothers with Klein attached to write the screenplay. So he actually co-wrote the screenplay to this movie, which is being directed by Steven Spielberg. Crazy, so, man. <laughs> yeah. To have seen what that what, to have seen him during those few days, you know what I mean? Like I can't even imagine the joy that you know that must have been. Yeah, I mean, he's like he's like some sort of like instant celebrity. It kind of mirrors what happens in the story. Yeah. It, no, it really does. That's true. Um so he kind of, he kind of you know uh I guess he, he uh, predicted that something like this was going to happen, maybe, for himself. Um, so yeah, the um, 10 months later, with the hardcover release coinciding with the paperback release, he revealed on his blog that both the paperback and hardcover editions of Ready Player One contain an elaborately hidden Easter egg. This clue formed the first part of a series of staged video gaming tests, similar to the plot of the novel. Um, the novel competition's grand plot prize was to be a 1981 delorean styled after the one that features in the novel um and that's in part two but the prize was awarded in 2012 so it took a it took a year for the for the conclusion of it um i want to do more research into this so i'm going to do more research into it for our second episode um right now i just kind of know that it happened and i've heard that and i think it's really cool that's crazy <laughs> so i should be on the lookout for some sort of like overarching easter egg hidden in the text uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to try, I mean, I'll look it up and find out what the answer is. But if you want to like see if you spot anything, for sure, I'm sure it's very well hidden. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like it takes a lot to find it, but I'll try. I'll do my best. <laughs> um, he has written another novel called Armada, um, which was released in 2015, and it has been rumored that he is working on Ready Player Two, the sequel to this. Oh, one. nice. Yeah. Um. That is the, I think, unofficial name of it. But we'll see. Uh, no no real information has come out about it at all. So, If this film is successful, it'll probably accelerate that process. Maybe, unless he pulls a George R. R. Martin. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, you never know. That, since I've read the whole thing, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting idea to me of a second novel. So we can just definitely discuss that, and we should in our third episode, uh, what we think that could possibly be. But I'm I'm pretty ready to get into the to the nitty gritties here. Let me ask you this. Did you really talk about what your expectations were going into this and how that might've been different once you actually got into it, into the story? Like I said before a little bit was I had this like negative connotation that it was this, this just this like wish fulfillment, like glorifying references and all this stuff. And like that's... So, so what did you think that was going to look like? I guess is my question for you. Like, what did you think? I, I thought that it was going to be like a shill, like some some like thing that had no story, completely product placement. Compl you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I thought because I didn't right. know that much about the story, and I just you know saw what some people said, and you know you know it's, it's just like people are going to think what they're going to think, and if they don't love this kind of thing, they might see it that way. But um, yeah. 
I, I don't know, man. It's it's just a completely different than I was expecting. I thought that this movie might end up being a little bit of like just, you know, like I was saying, like product placement references for nostalgia, just straight up nostalgia porn. And because mm-hmm. that's kind of the that's kind of what I've been getting from from so many people, when, even people who really, really enjoy it. They're like, oh, there's a lot of references. And like it's yeah. pr- and like people people will say like it's good, but it's like it's a fun read. So um after having read the first part, I'm like invested and I think that there's yeah. like cool stuff going well, that's on. That's the there. thing. Regardless of how the movie turns out, I you know, I, I feel like this is a fun book. You know what I mean? So at the very least, I'm the kind of person who believes that a movie adaptation can't like doesn't ruin a book for me. So I no matter what the movie is, I'm gonna enjoy this book. Um and you know, I'm reading it the second time and I'm still enjoying it. Um it's a different experience. I'm catching new things and thinking about things a little differently. But um yeah, it's been a lot of fun even going through the second time. Yeah. But I think we should get on to our spoiler section now, um, if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump in. All right. So full spoilers for part one. Let's get into it. So the book begins with level one, and it's chapter zero, um, which is the, uh, it's kind of this announcement of the contest. It's just Halliday's message, right? We meet, uh, we meet James Halliday. We, we learn about the world, how there's disease, poverty, catastrophic ch- climate change hitting everything. Um, Halliday shows up. It's almost written like a screenplay. It's kind of the thought I had. Like, it's almost written like a description of... Because you're seeing a video, right, that everybody receives in an email and in the, across the entire world. And it's Halliday, this um, eccentric billionaire. And he's like, he's died. Um, and he's, uh, he's released this video uh, upon his death. And it's him like dancing at, 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 at an 80s dance. And then he becomes his like morphs into his funeral. And he is like cracking jokes and having a great time and like looking down. He's younger, like it's his younger avatar, but he's looking down at like old man self who's dead. <laughs> um, so this is why I was getting very strong Wonka vibes, right? Like he's eccentric. Right. We get discussion about uh, he he talks about the very first Easter egg, which was a secret room written in the code of a video game called Adventure, which I think is really I mean, that's really cool. You know, like I didn't know that. So it's that's a fun little these kind of like little details are cool, too, because it's learning about like the dawn of video gaming and and all this stuff. Yeah, I always find that really interesting because it's I, I always just wondered, like, how do we how do we get from like Pong to all these other things and like where did Easter eggs are and all this stuff. And so I love learning stuff like that. Yeah. And the story was basically that the coder wasn't allowed to like put his name on it. So, so instead he hid it in a secret room where it actually put his name in there. You know what I mean? Coded by whatever. And that was like the first Easter egg in a video game. So yeah, uh, he outlines the, um, this contest. He reveals that there are three keys, a copper key, a jade key and a, and a clear crystal key. These three keys open three gates um, and then he gives this little bit of like dog roll poetry <laughs> kind of ending, and that becomes their their like one clue that is the start of this this contest. So this is what he says: Three hidden keys open three secret gates, wherein the errant will be tested for worthy traits, and those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits. Now, if you can get over the fact that it's f- f- four identical rhymes, that's it's, that's your little poem you get there, um, and and that's that's the clues that they get. You know, what I mean, that's what launches this whole thing. So, I don't know if I fully described it, but the idea is that if you complete his 
you know, series of tests or to get these three keys and these three gates that eventually you will get the Easter egg, which will then make you inherit inherit the um, the entire control of the company and his like multi-billion dollar fortune. Yeah, I guess we should also we like say he he created this this game that's like we kind of have, have like talked about some, but it's this crazy game called The Oasis. And it's basically like it's all VR. You can touch things. You can manipulate things within the world. Um, and everybody has like their own login. And it's kind of like registered to like you specifically. Like it won't log you anybody else in on your profile. And you can't really make other profiles. But sometimes that happens. And so yeah, we'll get into we'll get into a lot of the rules. I, I do like the way that the stu- the information about the Oasis is kind of slowly revealed to us in a really clever way. Yeah. Um. So we'll, we'll we'll try and do that too. But yeah, basically it's an online simulation, almost like a Second Life kind of thing. But it's all VR, and people live their everyday lives doing that. Like you can work in there, all this stuff. So he says, let the hunt begin, and then we we learn about the high score list, which is on his website now. It's called the scoreboard. And he also includes something called the Anorax Almanac, which is a thousand page long thing, like stream of consciousness thoughts that he had about 80s pop culture and all that stuff. And everybody can download that. And that's like the clue book where you're going to run a read and study all this stuff. Right. And we learned that there is a group of people who who quickly start hunting after it. And they are known as the egg hunters, which quickly gets portmanteaued into gunters. Then we get a little bit about the history after that. So for the first year, it becomes like a global sensation. Everybody's looking for it. Everybody wants to to do this thing and find it and find the money. And like the news media is all about it. And it's really exciting. And then after a year, no one finds it. Not even like not even a hint, not, no clues, nothing, no first key, anything. Right. And so people start to lose interest. And so over time, it, it you know, about five years go by and people lose interest People start to doubt that he even exists. They think maybe he was just trolling them um, or that he either or either that or he made it too hard to find and, and no one will ever find it. This is an interesting little kind of little flash forward. But we, uh, the, the chapter zero ends with um, our main character uh, who speaks in first person um, saying that uh, in 2045, an avatar name appeared on the high scored list. It was an 18 year old kid. And then he says that kid was me. And I'm going to tell you the story of how it really happened. And then we get chapter one. As I was reading this first chapter, I felt like I felt like this is what I've been training for my whole life. <laughs> it's like this moment when like this right. super rich guy makes this crazy game and then all of our all of our knowledge of all of these things comes to play and I can win tons of money in a huge company. Yeah, man. Um, I think especially for me, because like I'm, I'm a big gamer, but the also the fact that it's like sci fi and fantasy books and D&D plays such a big role in this. It also just like it, it really hits me. I mean, this, that's that's yeah. my bread and butter. It's awesome because it's do. not just like it could have easily just been games, but it's like right. all things it's movies. That I love. Yeah, it's it's everything. Comic books, video games, mm-hmm. books, movies, music, TV shows. It's everything. So in chapter one, we meet Wade Watts and we learn that he lives somewhere called the Stacks. Um, he's poor and the Stacks are basically a trailer park where people have, you know, they've run out of space. So instead of having you know sprawling trailer parks they've started stacking them on top of each other and then creating sprawling trailer parks this is really cool kind of like play on like the cyberpunk idea of these like super cities but instead of it being like cities it's these like slum slums right like it's 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 i don't know really 
this is a really clever idea I, I you know and i really like it yeah and in a time where like technology is is like you can still get a hold of this technology but be really poor and it, yep. the environment's totally completely ruined because of mankind and all this stuff it, it i don't know and the the difference between the poor and the and the rich the fact that like there's tons of people living in slums and yet there's still oh, these, yeah. like super ultra rich people yeah it's very dystopian you know it's very it's a very kind of bleak view of the future where everybody is so kind of lives such miserable lives that they all log into the oasis to escape it so depending on how you look at it um that could potentially be very depressing <laughs> um so that's an interesting kind of backdrop to this right like it's immediately this kind of really interesting world we learn about wade watts and we see he, that he um we learned that his father is dead he was shot when he was very young and that he named him uh wade watts because he thought it sounded like a superhero name like peter parker um, I also thought it was funny that it's WW, which is just like Will Wheaton, which is who the narrator is on the audiobook. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you made that connection, but I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It makes me think of Willy Wonka. Yeah, there you go. Another one. Um, so we, we learned that his mother was this kind of virtual call girl who, uh, an escort, you know, on in the Oasis. Um, and so because of that, she didn't have a lot of time for him, but he does seem to have like really fond memories of her. Um, but he was basically raised by the Oasis that has these like educational systems that will like teach you everything you need to know as a, yeah. as, as even a young child. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. That's the kind of school I wanted to go to as a kid because I was always like, oh, man, school. But then if it was like virtual school where like your teachers were taking you on these crazy trips, like into the into like a virtual heart and then like, you know, up to a volcano yeah. and all that stuff like that's really engaging and cool. And, yeah, and it's this is also another dividing point I think for this book because some people I know for a fact, especially older generations, it seems like are going to hear this and go like, "Oh my God, this is a nightmare." You know what I mean? Like this is this is this is the end of civilization, and, and just think it's ter- terrible. Whereas I think we're of the generation where this isn't as frightening to us. The idea of this, right? Like of, of a virtual life, right? Um, so we also get kind of a diatribe here from wade um about religion and he seems to really be against it and he talks about how he has kind of an existential crisis when he's young and he seems to equate that with his love of video games so like and the oasis in general the idea that life is so short and the idea of having to die is such a terrifying concept that seeking escape through the oasis and and this other life um is like the one thing that brings him joy um, because he doesn't believe in an afterlife and, and all that stuff. And and I can totally identify with that because I am also a deeply agnostic person. Um, and I think it's a, it is kind of a good explanation for inter- beyond just video games, but entertainment in general. Like, why do I pour myself into these books? Why do I get so obsessed about movies and television? Uh, why do I play video games when we're all going to die? You know what I mean? But yeah. it is. It's kind of an escape from the cold, hard realities of reality <laughs> for sure i mean i think that like you said before older generations would look at this and be horrified but like older den- i think our like our generation and i mean there's to an extent as well but like i think that our generation is a generation of of escapists and like yeah it's something about realizing like oh your life is short and you want to have experiences but it's also like if you're I, I think our like our generation is like tapped into this sort of idea that like if you are if you enjoy something, do that. 
you know what I mean? Like maybe an older generation would be like, oh, spending time with people is the, the like the perfect way to spend the day. And it's like, we feel that like playing a video game and chatting with your friends is the equivalent of that. We don't see any difference between that sometimes. I don't know. We just have a different scale of seeing what is worth our time, I guess. For sure. So we learn about Wade's home life too. He now lives with his aunt Alice, who is pretty terrible person. She has a series of boyfriends that are all more awful than the next. The one she currently has is this like ex-con and they come in and steal Wade's laptop and they're going to pawn it for money and all this stuff. They're pretty terrible. Um, he leaves um, going down a uh, going down a ladder to kind of s- sneak out. He goes down and we meet a woman named Mrs. G. Oh, uh, he's he's so he's outside of Oklahoma City, too. I don't know if I said that he uh, that's where these particular slums are located. Um, so I just imagine just like really flat, you know, nothing to see kind of area with these giant slums. So totally makes sense. So uh, he takes the ladder down. He talks to Mrs. G, who's like the one nice person to him, you know, there. And she offers him food, but he turns it down. And she, you know, she seems to be someone who's friendly to him. And that's maybe the one person we meet in the real world that is friendly to him. Right. She is like really religious and he has an interesting thing where he can, he doesn't want to throw stones. Um, I think he even says, like, people in glass has, houses should shut the fuck up or something like that, like, quoting <laughs> Halliday. And essentially saying that, like, his obsession with entertainment and VR and all this other stuff, he equates it to her obsession with, with religion, which is, I think, a pretty astute observation. Um, so he go, we, we, he gets down to the floor level, and we and he goes to this abandoned van. The floor is, like, really, like... Everything's abandoned down there. There's all these trapped cars that people have just left. There's it's like really dirty and it's down in the shadows. Like sun doesn't even really get down there. Very interesting. It reminded me of like Fifth Element maybe when he goes mm-hmm. to like the lowest level in that city. Um, yeah. But it's in these slums. Um, so he's down there and he has this abandoned van that he knows like he can barely get into it. He has to wiggle between cars and he has he has the key and he gets inside of it. And this is his bat cave. He calls it his VR hub. He has a folding lawn chair in there, a portable heater. And it's just this little van, and that's where he spends his time when he when he logs into the Oasis, and he has some backup computers in there and stuff. Um, he has a he has a bike that he rides to generate electricity to charge the battery, um, and this is just his little hideout, you know. Yeah, I think this is really cool. Um, but I did have a question about it. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like in this VR, you it's not like you're like transported into like a virtual world and you're that's where you are while you lay unconscious like this is a moving vr so it's like whatever you're doing or feeling you're actually doing how does he have enough space to walk around and do stuff inside of a van so he describes the the way you walk by being a series of hand like subtle hand motions so what about like like fighting and stuff like i I don't know it just seems like it wouldn't be a lot of space but i guess he makes it work well he doesn't have the more expensive like in-depth rigs so i think his motion is more limited mm-hmm. um he walks with some sort of hand motion it's a little vague um but yeah it's 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 it is important to note that these v- visors are describing um some sort of low beam laser that like projects the oasis onto your iris so on one hand it is very immersive because it fills your entire vision um but on the other hand yeah like your physical body is still in the real world 
and you still have to move through like hand motions not through walking and like the normal way you would move so you would have to learn how to control your character and all that stuff it would be it would be a process i think for sure this also i mean this makes me obviously there's plenty of vr stories out there in sci-fi and stuff but it reminds me a lot of like um like sword art online was an anime that came out recently that well, not even recently probably around the same time that this book came out honestly but it, it's like the the similar thing where it's like um it, but that's it was it was like an rpg but it's a virtual rpg but that's i think that's more of the rpg where you, or the sorry the the vr that you get like transported into and i don't know that's a fun fun story that i was thinking about a lot during this story i, I haven't seen that anime but i can totally see that and i, I think it, i've heard about it and it seems to have a similar kind of premise at least that you go into this virtual place and have battles <laughs> so we learned that he's got this old crappy rig but it is what essentially is given out to anybody who enrolls in school, um, which we later learn is through this program that Halliday actually created. Um, and that's the only reason he has this rig he's able to use, and he has to keep it hidden from his aunt because otherwise she'd pawn it and he'd have nothing, I guess. And uh, so then we learn, he goes to school, and we learn what school looks like for him, which is done in the Oasis, which I think is already immediately a pretty cool idea, um, that he is he attends high school completely virtually. Um, and he's known as Wade Three. Um, importantly, his his like avatar name, which is Parzival, is not revealed to people Par- in school. Yeah, Parzival with a Z. So Parzival, but put the Z where the C the is. Spelled with a Z, yeah. Because that's the only username he was able to get of Parzival. Yeah. Which is fun. I mean, that's a lot like you know when you try and create a name on any video game, like a lot online video game, and you have to you have to play with the spelling a little bit to get it because someone's already stolen the one you like. <laughs> right. Um, so a bully throws an insult at him and this is pretty cool because he just like throws back a retort and then mutes him, which like there's a cool like dynamic here where everybody can appreciate the idea of attending this virtual school because like bullying is not really a thing when you can do that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's pretty cool. Um, he, they goes to class and like you were, you were referring to earlier, they're able to do these awesome lessons where let's talk about the sun. So then they travel virtually to the sun and like walk around in it and like all this stuff. Like it's a whole immersive educational environment. Um, And I really like the idea of this as something that I think there are some innovative ideas in here. You know what I mean? And where I'm like, people should pay attention to this because I think there is something to it. You know, I, I don't know. They're already doing VR stuff, but like it, it could be so much more. Yeah. There's, there's something in this that I was like, holy shit, when they make that, that's going to be huge. Um, and remind me, it has something to do with the first gate. So just remind me to talk about that. Okay. Um, so we, we learned that in real life, he's always been overweight, um, and that his avatar is like a handsome, taller, stronger version of himself. I'm going to go ahead and say that is something I remember when the movie was first announced, a lot of people didn't love about the main character who was cast and that he was this kind of handsome young guy who would seem to really fit. And they're like, that doesn't look like how he's described in the book. Um, but, you know, it's a movie. Everybody's going to look good in a movie. And that's kind of the rule of Hollywood. Yeah, I thought of that when uh, when I was reading it. I didn't know that in the book he was supposed to be like, um, you know, have acne and be like mm-hmm. bigger. So I, whenever they said that, I was like, well, he doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we learn about his complicated and, I mean understandable nerdy relationship with women where he is very shy and he doesn't know how to talk to them and he kind of treats them like another species and this is another thing that i know is 
I mean, it, it continues to grow. This is just what we first hear about it. Um, there are some problematic things in here that I'd like to kind of address as we go. Um, and I know that there's been some criticism within the community, the writing community, about some of this stuff. So I, I don't know how much of it ju jumped out to you, but I was particularly trying to pay attention to it this time because I know I am aware of these criticisms of this book. Yeah, I mean, I assume it has like to do with with how he thinks of this girl and how well, the stuff that he does for sure. And it's all tied up in the whole like Gamergate and like just, you know, there's some really shitty stuff that goes on in the gaming world and how nerds, you know, tend to like sexualize women in their community and not, you know, not really look think of them as people. Yeah, there's, and I mean, so there's a lot of shitty stuff with that. And it, it, I would say that this book ultimately, I think, has a good heart. And I think it comes from a good place, in my opinion. But I do think there are some unfortunate signs of kind of that nerd culture that that I think um, the author was steeped in and his imagining of this character. I think it kind of bleeds through. Um, I don't know for sure. You know, what I mean, I don't know him, but I don't know. It's It's interesting, you know. We could talk about it kind of case by case. This is, I, I feel like, stereotypically, that's how a person like this could end up being as a person. So it's like, right? maybe that was more true to what he wanted to do. I don't know. But um, I think, like you said, this book does do a lot of things that are good. Like, I think he does do things to to show, like, women are empowered in this in this world and stuff. But like you said, there's also the, the flip side of that. So, yeah. Um, it, it, like I said, I, I ultimately think that it's, it has a good heart. So that's kind of my defense of it, even though I think there are times where maybe it's not handled the best way it could have been. But anyway, let's continue on. So we learn about the planet where the schools are located is a planet called Ludus. And uh, this is like a planet of all schools. It's just all these schools sprawl over the entire surface of the planet. And there's these like expanses of like procedurally generated forests that like and like streams and rivers and mountains and stuff that separate them. Other than that, it's just like a planet full of, of schools. Yeah. And we learned that Wade is this low-level noob. <laughs> um, he's level three. He has like an iron sword and padded leather armor or something. He has like nothing and no money. And he can't afford to like go anywhere because it costs money to leave um, where he's at. And um, that's the other important thing, I guess, is like your avatar is in a fixed location within this universe of the Oasis. And when you log out and like log back in, you'll be wherever you logged out. Right. So your your location stays fixed. So I think you mentioned that uh, it's importantly like you like people, some people hide their names so that yeah. like you don't know what username connects to what person in the real world. Um, and that's why he changes his name at school, because in order to register at school, he had to give certain, like his information. So he's weighed three at school. So nobody knows who he is in the Oasis proper. Well, also school had rules against it because they didn't want people to be like raising their hand and someone have to be like pimp master 22 or whatever. Like, what you know? Yeah. So people had to go by their like their first names and then he gets assigned Wade three because he's the third Wade to sign up or whatever. I yes. guess. Um, so we, 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 we're, we learning a lot about the world here, so bear with me as I kind of describe a lot of this, but, um, we, we learn about Gunters have clans and a lot of these clans have a lot of infighting, but the, the main principle behind these clans is that they all swear a solemn oath that like if anyone in the clan, um, unlocks the, the, the wins the egg that they're going to like split it between all of them, like the winnings. And then they all help each other is, is the kind of the premise of it. So they all, share information with one another and help each other to do it. And people who aren't in clans are called solos. 
and that's what Wade is. And they all work strictly alone without sharing information. You know what I mean? So um, they kind of look down on the clans, but not as much as a organization known as the Sixers. So the Sixers are this evil corporation that are searching for the Easter eggs so that they can seize control of the Oasis, uh, start charging an exorbitant monthly fee, and basically ruin the entire thing, you know, and, and turn it into this, like, advertisement nightmare. And, and you know... They want to make money. They want to make money, but then they're going to shut out... Like, all the poor people will no longer be able to use the Oasis is kind of the thing, so... Uh, none of the Gunters want them to win, obviously. And uh, we learned that they have, like, hundreds of thousands of however many employees that work for them in exchange for a paycheck and inhabit these avatars that all look alike and have um, a certain number attached to them. And they are just out there also participating in this hunt. Um, but what's funny, I thought, is that, like, all of Gunters, like, kill like kill them on site and they have like contests for like hunting them and killing them and all this stuff so um there's like this ongoing war between them and, and, the, and the gunters yeah i can totally see that happening too with like the community of like hardcore gamers versus like the conglomerate companies trying to you know we're seeing this today gamers against the some of the people who want to just milk them for money uh, we also learn about a character named Artemis, um, who is this uh, particular gunter that uh, Wade follows her blog, and it's like a series of her um, investigation, and she blogs about different things that she studies in the Almanac and all this stuff, um, and so he and he has this cyber crush on her. There is also here a repeated, I think they keeps being repeated by wade where he keeps worrying that she's actually a 300 pound man named chuck in his basement and he repeats this joke several times and every time it's a little bit cringy for me because it's a little bit homophobic it's also a little bit of like body shaming it's a little bit of it's just a little bit of shittiness you know what i mean it's like he he is very worried that he could potentially be attracted to someone who doesn't fit the image that he has in his mind of them, which on one hand, like I get it. And that's kind of the nature of on online relationships. But on the other hand, it's kind of shitty. I don't know. That was definitely one of the parts that I felt like was like, Oh man. But like at the same time, I can see somebody, you know what I mean? I can see a person, a certain type of person doing that. Well, and if anybody's ever done, got like even dabbled in like online romance over the years, you know, you're playing video games or even just like online dating and stuff like there is a big risk that the person you're talking to looks nothing like the person you think they are. You know what I mean? Like people can post whatever they want. Right. And so that's kind of the way what he's trying to get at. But I don't know, just the way he handles it's a little a little icky to me. But let's move on. Um, we also meet his best friend, H, who uh, they hang out in this virtual basement. He's a very important character as well. They practice video games together. He's another solo. So they don't really help each other, but they kind of do. They like practice and talk about stuff a lot and have like these little competitions where it's like who who knows the most lore um, or what they call canon. Um, and it's his best friend. H calls him Z. They have this um, hangout in this. In this, uh, he invites him to to come hang out in this uh, basement while he's at school, <laughs> and he's able to, to to do that. We also oh, we also meet Irock here, which is kind of an important side character. Who is this? Like he calls him a twink, which is an unfortunate term, um, but it is something from video games that people use to refer to characters who have like really really good gear even though they're low levels and like maybe spend a lot of money on the game to get to that point um maybe they didn't earn it 
So yeah, I apologize for that term, but that's that is a gaming thing I've heard, and that's what he's using here. Um, and it describes what Irock is. He is he has all this gear that he hasn't he hasn't earned, but he uh, he's kind of a shitty guy. So it's like weird that he's even like there, but you know it is what it is. They're in this hangout, and this guy shows up, and he kind of like always like what what is it what would you say that he does he just comes and messes with them or something and they don't they don't really love the guy like they think he's like they kind of mess with him back and and they're he's not like part of their group or anything i think h even says like i let him in here just so to remind us of what the average gunter is like so that we can feel like to like most people aren't as obsessed as they are kind of thing yeah. um which is kind of a shaky reason i think to have him there but that's what h says yeah there's a lot of kind of gamer talk in this section too. Like they call each other posers and like all this stuff. And like, there's a lot of like, you know, lead and like just a lot of the gamer terminology being thrown around, which if you're a gamer, it's like fine. Like I, I expect that, but like to the average reader who maybe isn't a gamer, this could be like a really weird section where maybe you don't understand the jargon. Yeah. That's why I feel like this, this is like for us, like for, for like a certain mm-hmm. demographic of people. All right, now that we've set up the world and all these major characters, uh, I'd like to stop and take a second to tell you about Audible. Yeah, Audible is an audiobook app that you can use to listen to many of their books. They have like 80,000 or something like that, right? Some insane number. Yeah, I think it's 80,000 plus. Yeah, so they have been nice enough to give us an affiliate link. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with this free trial that they gave us, you get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook out of their entire collection. Yeah, you can use it to listen to Ready Player One like I did. Um, I really enjoyed this audiobook. It's got Will Wheaton narrating it. So if you're listening to this, maybe wondering if you want to read this book, I highly recommend it. Go out and get the audiobook with our link. Um, but other than that, I, I'll go ahead and recommend Fahrenheit 451, which um, very different kind of book, but it's still sci-fi. It's uh, by Ray Bradbury. It's considered a classic novel. Um, the reason I'm going to recommend it, though, is because the uh, adaptation for HBO just got announced, I don't know, in the last few weeks, um, starring Michael B. Jordan. And I'm really excited about that. And so we've decided we are going to cover it. Uh, we don't know exactly how that's going to play out yet because they haven't given us a hard release date. But as soon as they do, we'll let you know. But yeah, I love that book. Um, I'm excited to reread it. And uh, you should definitely go out and get the audiobook version of it. And that's uh, audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. You use that, you can get it for free. All right, so I'm going to move it along a little faster here. Uh, we get we get some scenes of him in school. We learn about a class called Advanced Oasis Studies, um, which he aces because he just knows everything. And he's, he's kind of like the annoying kid who like always raises his hand in this <laughs> class, which I think is funny. But it's interesting that it's taught it's taught in school, right? It's people studying the simulation that they all participate in. Um, through this simulation, we learn about backstory, which is important about James Halliday and his friend Ogden Morrow. We learned that they uh, had a D&D group early on and that their friendship is legendary. They grew up and formed um, Gregarious Games, which is the company that produces the Oasis. Ogden Morrow it was more of the PR guy. He was more gre- gregarious, more eh, gregarious games. Um, he was more outgoing. Uh, they were both pretty eccentric and kind of odd, but it seems like he's the one who's maybe better integrated into society. So he was the face of the company while Halliday was this kind of eccentric uh, brain behind it, I guess. And it reminds me a lot of the, you know, the Apple, you know, Wozniak and 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 um, jobs, jobs. Thank you. That kind of setup, right? 
Yeah, that definitely is the vibe that I got from these two. So they started out as game developers. They uh, invented different kind of text games and, and, and simple games in the early years. And uh, their company, over time, becomes uh, more powerful, more money, and they invent the Oasis. Um, and the Oasis uh, takes a one-time payment of 25 cents to to create your avatar. Um, which I think was a pretty cool kind of reference to the qu- quarter-operated games, right, of the 80s. So that's, that's your one. You, you put in a quarter, and you get you get to log into the Oasis. Wade's in Latin class, um, and he's kind of daydreaming about things. Oh, I wanted to say that he, that he lists Halliday's favorite authors, and there's a lot of great stuff in there, a lot of authors that I'm sure we'll touch on one day. Um, but one that jumped out at me, I don't know if you noticed it, Richard K. Morgan was listed among the favorite authors list, which we just did Altered Carbon a few I don't know, a month ago or two, two months ago, whatever it was. Um, so that was pretty cool to see him shouted out there. Definitely. And Richard K. Morgan, I mean, had only been around for like 10 years when this book came out. So yeah, he's so seeing him as like an up and comer that becomes a legend. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, that might have been true. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, uh, yeah, Ernest Klein uh, th- included him in the list, which I thought was fun. Um, he also says something here about having a cute geeky girls fetish. Which is a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like it's like you know what I mean. Like you're a hetero dude, and sure you like cute geeky girls, but to kind of like call it a fetish is I don't know. It's just kind of gross. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's very you know, like I said, it's reductive. You know what I mean? It's like taking all women, reducing them to something sexualized. Um, yeah. Which I just want to be aware of. I, I, this is something that completely might not bother people, but I run in circles enough to where I know that this is an issue that people have identified in this book. So we learned that Wade's uh, specialty is arcade-style video games. He's really, really good at these. He has. We've also learned that he has figured out a clue, and this is his first clue, and that is that uh, the Tomb of Horrors um, is a... There's a reference to the Tomb of Horrors and in, in a error in the um, almanac. I don't know how much of this I want to get into the specifics of, but there's a clue nested in there that he knows that the Tomb of Horrors is somehow important. But And then he also learns that all these other Gunters have figured the same thing out. And that's kind of where the, where we're at. Like, no one has figured out how it's important. They just know that it is. So he's daydreaming in Latin class when all of a sudden he has this, like, eureka moment, right? And it's they're conjugating the words and they're conjugating the word to learn and to learn is is ludus right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. And 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 he thinks like oh holy shit and he like falls out of his chair and he's thinking about the rhyme and he's like the you know you have much to learn part of it means that students on this planet um and so he has this moment of realization because holy shit it's probably here on this planet where i've been all this time i think it's a really cool this is a cool reveal this is um it makes sense that he would do this he would put it in a place where like poor people who are maybe are just low levels could have access to starting this quest out totally makes sense totally buy it it works for this character and it's a cool reveal um i don't know if I completely buy that five years into this contest, no one would have made that Latin word conjugate. You know what I mean? No one would have made this leap, but maybe. Like, I buy it just enough. I mean, me too, yeah. I, I feel like there's people out there, especially because of what's at stake, like, and all the resources at the Sixers' disposal. You, yeah. you would think every word would be translated 
to different languages and then the people would look to where like how that might line up with something in the oasis like i can see a process in which someone would have found this but yeah. it's just obscure enough to where maybe it didn't happen and latin's like a dead language so you know what i mean maybe yeah and then he uses that that ref like the fact that it's on this planet to to with it like paired with the tombs the tomb of horrors thing that he knows to kind of like look for for because he like looks at a map of of the planet that's true so you have to have figured out this tomb of horrors connection to even get to this point so now he's made this connection between ludus and the tomb of horrors and he he, look, he uses a map and he finds an area that fits the description from the D D module tomb of horrors <laughs> to find an area on the planet that looks like this um he comes up with a he has like a scam that he runs where he teleports claiming that he's going to go to a like a sporting event this other school on the other side of the planet. So he's able to teleport for free because he doesn't have any money. And he heads out into the woods, finds the area on the map and, uh, digs into the ground, opens it up and, uh, enters into the tomb of horrors. So what did you think of this whole D and D kind of setup thing? Like, did this catch you by surprise that it was going to be so prominent? Yeah, yeah, I did. I didn't think D and D would be the thing. And what's funny is like I am super into all this stuff, but D and D is something that I never really did much of growing up because I didn't really have a group to do this kind of stuff with. So like, that's like if there's like a if there's like a section of of my geekdom that's lacking, it's like a lot of the D and D stuff. But a lot of that is like built into other games and RPGs and stuff since. Um, but I thought it was really cool that he's going to like the source of nerddom, like like D and D is yeah. like looked back at as like the beginning of it all, and and, and that's you know that's something I I've played D and D my entire life, and it's something I've been super steeped in. So you know that's my area of I've I had a you know my strength is there. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like D and D is the prototype of this, right? It's it's like a, a I think they even make this point in the book, but it's it's a it's this you know early version of this vr essentially but it's all just done through your imagination instead right before we had any fancy gear we just had to imagine it and and but it is kind of the same idea right it's this escapist it's a created world it's a game so in a lot of ways it's the precursor to the oasis yeah i definitely see that so using the tomb of horrors as a guide he's studied this module he knows the map he's able to get inside loot a bunch of rooms it is just like the Tomb of Horrors. He has to jump over all these traps and like disarm some of them. He gets several magic items, which he had never had before, like a plate armor, I think, and a sword. Um, and then he finally gets to the to the last room where he knows there's a demi lich that is supposed to be kind of awaiting him or spawn at some point. But instead of spawning, it's sitting on this throne, looking at him when he walks in, and. Yeah, he ends up uh, going up and the, and the Lich talks to him and like asks him what he seeks. And, you know, the Lich in the to original Tomb of Horrors doesn't speak. So this is a difference. And he and he finds out that this is um, this this Lich challenges him to a joust and he agrees. And all of a sudden the throne transforms into an old arcade version of <laughs> joust, which here we are. Here we are. We've arrived at it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what did you what was your I want to know what you felt when you were like, holy shit, this is the joust moment. Like, this is why we played it. I loved it, dude. I was like, yes, I love this. Like, I actually really, really like that game. And it's like it, it, what's funny is like we we played it in like the classic way that I feel like people played back then was just like start playing it, spend your quarters, figure out the game. Like there's no like instructions, really. It's like flap your wings and move yeah. around. And and uh, I just thought it was cool that this is like one of the games that he had like really practiced at. Uh, because it was in it was in his almanac in holiday's almanac so he played it a bunch and he'd like got a bunch of experience doing it and then yeah he goes and 
plays the lich, uh, the demi lich, right? Yeah, he, he plays against the lich in a game, in an arcade game at the heart of a dungeon. It's it's so cool. It's so nerdy, but like I don't know the idea of like standing side by side with this lich and playing him, and like he talks about how you can hear his finger bones like crackling on the on the on the on the controls. Um, it's just cool. Um, and then yeah, like the the implied threat of that if you lose, um, he's gonna kill you, and if you win, you get the key, right? So this is a huge moment for Wade. And he loses the first match to him. And the way you lose, and it was fun because we actually played this game. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you got a high score of like 40,000, something like that. When when you played like out of all the games, I think that was the highest. Yeah, yeah. We we played a, I don't know, what what do you think we spent on that game? Like five bucks? Probably less. But yeah, a few, a few dollars for sure. A few dollars. So we played we played a decent amount. And um, well, we, a lot of it was just trying to figure out how to play. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it was like trial and error at first. And then once we once we figured it out um yeah i think i got like 40 40,000 or so which isn't isn't saying much but cuz it was just the first well, few well, times well what i, I thought was it. interesting is he said that he only earned 30,000 before dying the first round so yeah. i just thought that was interesting you know he he and he was saying like it was shit he sucked it up the first time and died quickly but yeah. it is interesting that you know at least one time you got far, further than he did on his first go. Yeah, so well, cool. I mean, so, so you want to talk about sucking it up? The first few times, I don't even know if we got any points, man. <laughs> no, we were terrible. We probably didn't break 5,000. Yeah. Um, the game's hard. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's also interesting um, that he, he kind of has this moment where he goes, I think I'm better on the other side, like, or with the other, like, mount or whatever. And he, he asks to swap sides for the second game, and the Lich does switch sides with them. And then he plays from the other side. And then I was thinking, like, I wonder if one side is, like, better, legitimately better than the other. And that's, that's like, something that you have to be, like, a hardcore gamer to know. I don't know. Now, it's this thing about when we played, but we played by, side by side, you know what I mean? It could be, yeah. I mean, he, I think, I mean, there's a stork and there's an ostrich, right? Or yeah. an emu or something? Ostrich? So, anyway. a stork and an ostrich, yeah. Yeah, so I think one of them's bill is, like, slightly lower than the other. So, maybe, like, that's his, like, the one he got used to playing. Because basically you have to you have to come down at the person with your beak, and if you're like if you if you're like whoever's higher wins, right? But you can like go back, right. you can come at each other backwards. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like I want to play it again now. But it was, it was actually pretty fun. But yeah, so he he wins the second match and like really close, and then so it's best two out of three. I should have said. <laughs> um, and so they play the third match. It goes on for a long time, and he starts to think about like his. It was interesting. It was like the strategy of how you beat an AI in a video game. And how you can like learn its habits and and the way the programming works and and you can use that to best it, um, which sounds legit to me. It sounds like someone who's played a lot of these kind of games and knows like legitimately how you develop a strategy to beat an AI. Yeah, because at some point it does come down to patterns. Like it has to be. So he wins the third match. Um, the Lich transforms into Halliday's avatar, and uh, the Star Wars music starts playing, which I thought was pretty funny. And uh, he gets the copper key. And he immediately goes from level three to level 10, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the dis- wizard disappears and he gets this next phrase, which says, what you seek lies hidden in the trash on the deepest level of Dagnarath. Dagorath. And he immediately thinks, oh, I know where that is. There's a there's a planet where um, Halliday's home. There's like a replica of his home and you can go in and like the dungeons of Dagorath is like one of his favorite games. And so he thinks about how he needs to go there, but he's like, man, I need to sleep first. But he's he's like, who's kidding you? And, you know, it's been like 16 hours or something. He hasn't slept, but he's like, I, I, I'm not going to be able to. I, I have to do this. And he goes to leave and uh, he immediately encounters someone else who's like walking in and is like, who the hell are you? And it's Artemis. 
So she arrives. I did really like their first scene together here. So yeah, Artemis shows up. Um, he's like starstruck by her, which I thought was pretty, you know, that's understandable. I always, I mean, like, I kind of had a, I don't know if this is true, but <laughs> I consider her a lot like Felicia Day in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, like gamer. Yeah, I know that it is. Yeah. She's like, a, she's in like the like geek world. She's like pretty beloved. And so I, I kind of thought of her, at least initially, that was kind of my, the way I imagined her, even though that's not really how she's described. Um, I still kind of thought of her that way. They kind of, you know, have like this interaction where he's being very guarded about the fact that he has the key. And it's revealed that she has been trying. And at first she says three weeks, but later we find out five weeks. But she's been repeatedly trying to beat to beat him and has been here like alone doing this over and over again and has been unable to best him. And he's he like pretends like he hasn't either. He's like, oh, yeah, he's you know, I'll have to try again another time because he's trying to be guarded about the fact that he has the key already. Yeah, and so you can only play it like once a day before it resets, and then only one person in the whole game can play it once a day before it resets, supposedly. And then uh, she like, as he's like kind of trying to leave, she like decides to check the scoreboard, and his name is like jumped to the top of the list. It's the number one. He's like in the lead of the entire world, looking for the 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 Easter egg. Yeah, and he's like he's almost gotten out without her finding out, but she 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 susses it out because he's acting kind of weird. And then she casts the spell. She's a mage and she's like in her 50s, level 50s or something. She summons this like stone wall that blocks the door because it's not non PVP zone, excuse me, non PVP zone. So they can't fight, but she is able to kind of trap him in at least for 15 minutes, which I think is fun because that is actually the duration of that spell um, in like D&D handbooks. So <laughs> just the idea of like a virtual world where you can actually cast D&D spells and they have like the same effects it's just so cool yeah. to me um, but yes again I fully recognize how geeky that is yeah that's another thing that they describe is like some so, so there's certain spots that you can't fight at all there's certain spots where you can't use magic but you can use like sci-fi gear or like places yeah. where you can't use sci-fi but you can use magic or the blend and I think that's really cool yeah. too or there's places you can't use either yeah it's like lo- no tech no magic zones and stuff mm-hmm. yeah I mean, just like the idea of this universe of like where everything is possible and it's, I don't know, it just sounds really cool. It sounds really fun. Yeah, I can't wait till this game comes out. Yeah, I know, right? When's, when, what's the release date on this bad boy? Well, um, it's like 2040, right? 2040, yeah. Let's mark it on the calendar. Um, what's cool is that, I mean, like to get a little bit uh, kind of on a, on a, on a aside here, but like I, I do believe that pop culture, we've seen it, can affect society and it can affect game developers and you can see like how star trek affected tech and how people invented a lot of the stuff in star trek because the idea was so cool that like we need to make that a real thing right yeah and you can talk about phones and stuff and it's like being inspired by that and like i just wonder is this book and the description of the oasis going to inspire something that is like it you know what i mean you often see that in sci-fi and that would be really cool i don't know it would be awesome. I just think it would, they, somebody's going to make this game eventually without the rights. Like, there's not going to be the the references and stuff. Well, that's the problem throughout this book that I'm always, as, as someone who's, like, you know, very into content creation, I keep thinking about I'm like, how are the creators getting paid for this? Um, you know, I mean, like, that's how the could... problem with trying to make a movie out of it as well. But from all yeah. accounts so far, what I've heard is just, like, Spielberg's been able to basically get any reference he wanted. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there are like there are like planets you can go to. Like you can go to Hoth, 
Like someone's like recreated it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm always wondering, like how how are they able to put this in this game? Yeah. Is there some sort of huge licensing that like the company's paying out? If so, how can they afford it? I don't know. <laughs> um, but if you get beyond all of that, it's just cool. It's a cool idea. For sure. So she asked him. Oh, so this is an important conversation they have here too. At some some point in the conversation, she asked him, "What are you going to do with? What would you do with the money if you did win?" And mm-hmm. he reveals he has this like kind of fantasy about like building this interstellar spaceship, and getting like him and his closest friends on it, and bringing a bunch of movies and games, and just like piecing out, <laughs> being like fucking off to another another solar system. In real um, life, in the real world. in re- yeah IRL, <laughs> um, yeah that's what he would do with the money. And she's like um she wants she has more like altruistic like she wants to help the world like she wants to try and feed the hungry and and like fix you know try and solve a lot of the world problems and yeah try and fix the environment and stuff so they have kind of this discussion about what they're what they would do with the money and and they both fall kind of on different sides of a of a philosophical fence here which i think is you know it's interesting yeah oh and before before she plays um he gives her the hint and he says why don't you try playing on the other side she does, and then as she's playing, the you know the spell dissipates, and he's able to leave, and he runs out while she's still playing. Yep. And then basically, as he as he's like on his way to the next next location, he sees that like she was able to beat it thanks to his advice. Yeah, yeah. It's soon soon he sees that she was able to beat it. So what did you think of that? Like him dropping the hint there. I mean, it's it's clearly because he's infatuated with her, right? Yeah, I th- I like this part because I just thought it was fun. Like you can see like legitimate bonding going on between them. Um, just like yeah. talking about references and the things that they like and like I don't know. And even though he's like a noob, she's like cool to him because they she'd never seen anybody get to this spot yet. So she obviously he knows his stuff. Yeah, she respect she like respects his game or his like knowledge and all that stuff. And so yeah, because they're both these like gunters too, which is like the separate whole society that's within the game that. So they respect each other for that reason. And it's it's interesting, too, because there's a lot of like how solos might help each other, even though they're not in a clan together. It's just yeah. like little things. If you know, you might drop a hint here and there kind of thing. Well, you'd rather be another another person who like, you know, deserves it rather than some company. Well, for sure. But then <laughs> there's also like a sense of honor about it, too, where like now, like, you know, what I mean, like where like they if someone helps you, then you feel like you they owe you owe them. And then until you can help them back, like it's kind of like the scales aren't even. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, so we kind of see that as it goes on. But yeah, so he gets out and he teleports to this place called Middletown, which uh, is like a 1980s town that's been re- made as a replica of the town where Halliday grew up. And he gets into Halliday's house and just that's when he sees that Artemis has completed it. Um, he's at number one on the scoreboard and now her name appears number two. He goes into the house and he oh he has all these missed messages from H who's been trying to contact him but he doesn't he doesn't answer them right away. Um, he goes into this into Halliday's bedroom in this re- reproduction of his house, puts in the Dungeons Daggeroth car- cartridge and um, goes to play it. Um, when he goes to play it, a, a printer puts out a message that says congratulations, and um, the gate appears. Oh, he has to complete the game. I should say he has to play the game and complete it. And then when he does that, the gate appears. And he opens it with the key, and it's a portal. And he jumps inside, and he's kind of teleported to another realm. Um, this realm, he is in an arcade playing Galaga, and he immediately realizes that he is a, uh, I think, Matthew Broderick's character from the movie War Games, and that he is literally in the movie. And so what I wanted to know is, is this a movie you've seen, and what did you think of this idea of, like, this essentially game he plays where he is like has to 
say the lines of this movie. Yeah, I've definitely seen the the movie. It's I, I really do like this movie actually, and yeah. uh, this is what I was talking about with um, with the idea that once this is created in some way, once you can become your favorite actor in your favorite movie and recreate the whole movie, people are gonna make a lot of money, and that that has to happen <laughs> eventually. Yeah, it's a cool idea, right? Like I don't yeah. know, I, I'm just like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of movies that it would just be fun as hell, right? To yeah. kind of take on the start leading role. Yeah, and like he has to do, he has to like remember all the lines and do all the actions. So he's basically like the he is the actor like performing in the movie, and uh, I don't know. I think that's really cool. And then yeah, he, um, eventually he he beats it. He it takes him a long time, yeah. but he beats. There it. is a cool thing where he like if he gets if he performs really well, he earns these like helper tokens that he can use to like find out what the next line is and stuff. So there is enough like in here too to kind of create it into like a game. Yeah. Um. And he does have the feeling that if he loses, he would die. Like, and his character would die. Which I don't know if we've talked about. We should talk about what happens with character death. Yeah. So if your avatar dies, you lose all of your experience. And you restart at level one, basically, and you lose all of, all items you had and everything and including, you know, anything you may have any progress you've made in this challenge and all this stuff. So death is pretty bad in the Oasis for characters. It's kind of yeah. like a permadeath thing, which is crazy because it's like if you if you had a game that's this long and you poured this much time into yeah. people would people would quit because if you die yeah. from some ridiculous bullshit, you would quit. Yeah, man, you go into PvP zones and you get jumped by a bunch of high-level characters. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually pretty... That's pretty gnarly, honestly. But it it would create a really um, tense, like, tense, like, you know, intense gaming experience, I guess. Yeah. Well, getting knocked down to zero would be part of the game at that point. You would just have to be okay with being like, all right, I'm level one and we're back into it. And then eventually, like, people who are really good would rise to the top. But even if you're really good, eventually you're going to die. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it, it it's it's you know it's like Dark Souls to the extreme. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, but I think for this book to have dramatic tension, like it has to be. This is how this world has to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise, if you could just save your game, like that's this game, this book would there would immediately lose a lot of tension. Right. So I'm glad he set it up this way. I also think it does make sense for 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 the universe described as described. So, yes, he has to complete the lines, he has to do the actions, and he completes the movie. When he does that, the war room enters out, uh, exits out, which I guess the movie ends in the war room, and another message appears. The captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected, but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are collected. Once all the trophies are collected. And then he's like, I don't know what that means, I'm really tired. He exits the stimulation, and... He basically pass, passes out. Oh, I wanted to ask you, is there any particular uh, movie, like if you had to pick one, if you got to pick one, like what would be the movie that you would love to play as, like the main Ooh. character in? Off the top of my head? Um, yeah, off the top of your head. That's a good question, dude. Um, I'd love to be like Clint Eastwood in like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly or something crazy like that, like a cool yeah. like Western. That'd be sweet. My my initial thought is uh, my namesake. I'd like to be Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Oh man, yeah, definitely. <laughs> You're like, oh shit. <laughs> that would be that'd be cool for sure. <laughs> and it would be cool too if you could have multiple multiple players, right? Like you know, one you know, I could be Luke and you could be Han or something. I don't know. <laughs> that would be so sweet. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool. So anyway, um, he logs out. He's exhausted and he basically just passes out in his sleeping bag inside of his little van. This is an interesting moment to me, too, because I I got so into this virtual world that it was almost like 
oh, like cold water in the face to have him exit and be in the real world again. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, he is in a real world. He's not just in this game. Because yeah. we had spent so much time in the game. And you also like don't want, I didn't want to come out of the, out of, of the Oasis. Yeah. Which, yeah. I, I mean, that shows just how like addicting this would really be, right? Right. If your life is miserable and you live in these slums, like how you would be super into it. Yeah. And the next, uh, he wakes up and he finds out that Artemis has also completed the final gate. Um, and he sees that the news is just blowing up. Uh, there's a, an interview with Ogden Morrow, uh, which is interesting. And he, he is talking about how he's excited that the game, that this has happened. And the media is trying to like get him to like, you know, say all this stuff. But he, he, uh, he doesn't want to. And instead he talks directly to them, or at least uh, Wade feels like it. And he says, you know, if you're smart, you won't talk to the media and you won't reveal who you are. Otherwise, you're going to have vultures. And he insults the IOI, and uh, they basically cut off his like live interview because he's insulting the company that owns the media, um, which I think is pretty cool. So I'm you immediately like Ogden Morrow, right? Like I did. I was like, oh, this guy's yeah, awesome. He's awesome for sure. Um, and then we we do learn some more backstory here about how um, there was a woman named Kira who Morrow was in love with, um, but also Halliday was also in love with like they both had a crush on her and he they ended up getting married ogden morrow and kira and they left the company um and there was some sort of falling out between him and halliday later on and it seems that um morrow also started to view the oasis as a prison and not as a game and that it's it it, it, he wasn't into it anymore because he wanted to be a game creator not not what the oasis had become so we also learn that Kira, his wife, was killed in a car accident. And uh, it seems like he kind of became a recluse after that. And so he, he hasn't really been seen a lot in the outside public. Um, and a lot of people approached him after Halliday's death and tried to get information for him, but he didn't have anything to share. Uh, so Wade uh, then looks at his messages and he sees that he has two million unread messages which I think is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, and he's become this like instant celebrity, right? Like his, cause people, you can just message Parsifal. Like you just, I have to know his, his username and it's public for the world to see. The only one that he responds to is he sees H has been calling him again and again and again. So he ends up calling H and H, uh, he talks to him for a second. He's like, where, you know, I can't believe you dog, you've been doing all this and you haven't told me about it. He, they both have like this mutual respect where it's like, well, I wouldn't want to like spoil it for you. I know you're going to get there eventually kind of thing. And he's like, well, you did kind of give me a hint and I'm sta- I'm sitting out in front of the uh, the cave right now. Yeah, he, he the camera, he kind of moves the camera around from his like video call and he sees that he's right outside the hint or the, the sorry, the tomb. And it's because he knows that if Wade was able to get it, like it basically had to be on Ludus. And then as soon as he knew that, he was able to figure it out. Because because um, Wade was so poor that he didn't have the money to travel around inside the Oasis. So yeah, H is right outside the tomb and uh, he's getting ready to go in and uh, Wade decides to give him a hint and he tells him uh, to try playing, what does he say, try try playing on the other side? Yeah, which is like, he's like, oh, I don't really know why I gave him a hint, but he's my buddy and like, he like smiles, H like smiles and he's like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, and we also learned that the, um, because Artemis completed it, that the tomb is empty and it has to respawn every day. Um, So he's waiting for the respawn period. Um, so he can't do it yet. He, uh, H also reveals that he's worried about IROC and he thinks that IROC is going to let slip their identities. And then once he does that, it'll become common knowledge that, that the, you know, that it's on Ludus. Right. He then has a message from Artemis. That's like a congratulations for completing the gate. He gets, he starts receiving emails from a blackmail from IROC 
who um who is threatening to reveal their identities uh and then the and then the next day a pair of people appear on the high score called Dato and Date how do I say it Dato and Shoto yeah Daito 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 thank you Daito and Shoto um appear on the high score list and they appear at the same time so he's not sure how that works and over those few days he's just analyzing the quatrain over and over again trying to figure out what to do he agrees to some sponsorships for his avatar's image and likeness and he agrees on the condition of anonymity so he doesn't have to reveal who he is but he's going to get money and they only last for one year yeah for a year he also gets a message from nolan sorrento who is like the head of the ioi organization and he knows that he's a former games game designer and he's he sent him like thousands of messages trying to get his attention and wade decides all right i'm gonna talk to him because he kind of wants to just fuck with him and be like you guys are pieces of shit for trying to ruin this game for us yeah, well, that's what we learn. He 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 agrees to it, and he goes to this virtual chat room, which is set on their home world. And uh, I mean, to put it short, uh, Sorrento is basically bragging, showing him how powerful they are, trying to impress upon him that like maybe it's hopeless. And but then also like he's trying to offer him a job. So if you were to come work for us, where you're gonna get? He offers him two million dollars a year with a million dollar signing bonus, and then twenty five million dollars if you complete it for us, like a bonus. So he's offering him all this money, but Wade isn't buying it, and he's kind of fucking with him. And he says, all right, I agree to it. And he's like, really? And he's like, yeah, I agree to it on three conditions. He's like, what are they? And he goes, I want $50 million when I complete it, not 25 And he's like, done. And he's like, I also want your job, not the job you offered me. And then he says, and then when I, once I get your job, I want you fired and out of the company. And this is really fun. I was laughing. I was laughing at this the whole time. It's just like, it's an awesome. He's just trolling him so hard right now. Yeah. Um, because he knows that his higher ups are going to agree to this. And even like Sorrento knows this too, right? Yeah. Sorrento like, grudge, like he's like, oh shit. And then like, but like, and then he like relays the information that like the superiors are watching and they're like, yes, you can have my job and I'll leave. And then he, yeah, and they're going to call it, and they're going to call you like numero uno or something. Yeah. It was like his other stipulation, which was pretty funny. Um, but then like when he's like, oh, really? We're going to do that? Then he goes, ah, never mind. I'm not going to do it. And so it's just like it's awesome because it just also drives home to Sorrento how like expendable he is. Right. And how he doesn't actually matter in this company. Yeah. Um, but then uh, then uh, Sorrento kind of uh, turns the tables on him. And his second offer is for five million dollars. And just one time, tell us what how you got the first key. That's all you have to tell us. You don't have to tell us how to you don't have to help us win. Just give me the information and we'll secretly get, give you $5 million and no one will ever know. And it's a little more tempting, I think. But Wade still is just like he hates this guy too much. And he's just like, no way, I'm not going to do it's it. It's definitely tempting because it's like you, it could be like basically we know from what Wade is saying that like everybody's going to know about this eventually. Right. So this would just be giving them information that they're probably going to have soon anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whether or not it would have they would have actually made good on their deal is open to interpretation um so because then the final proposal comes up and he said he 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 this is where he turns the tables on him and he reveals that he knows his name is wade he says sit down wade which is this big like moment of oh shit because he thought he was anonymous he also knows where he lives he shows this aerial view of the stacks and like his particular stack that he lives in um and we learned that uh they they he was able to bribe all of the officials on at school at the schools on ludus because they determined the thing about ludus through iraq and um 
because of that, they got his his like student information and they and they figured out who he is and where and they tracked him down. And he tells them that, you know, your entire thing has been, you know, rigged to explode and tell us where it is or we're going to kill you and everyone else in your stack. And so they think he's still in there because they didn't see him when he came down the ladder, I guess. And so he, he they don't know that he's in his little hideout. So what they're actually threatening is to kill his aunt and Mrs. G and all these other people in this in this stack and all these innocent people. Yeah, and he so he's responsible if he doesn't do anything, but at the same time he's not in there. Yeah, he is convinced though, and this is the thing that change, that makes him decide is that he's convinced that even if he tells them that they're going to kill him, that they're going to blow it up anyway, or that they're bluffing. Yeah, one or the other. But he he thinks that they're they're going to want him dead because he he. He could potentially reveal what they've done, their criminal like activities. And so it'd be easier for them to just go ahead and kill him. So he's like, even if I do tell them, they're they're gonna blow me up anyway. Unless they're bluffing. So basically he says, you know, screw you, you're never gonna you're never gonna complete the test, and then he logs out. A few seconds later, uh, he hears the blast, feels a shockwave. Just as he's starting to think maybe it was a bluff, it it, it wasn't. And he runs out and he sees that there's just like smoking rubble and a, several stacks were taken out and all these people have died. And uh, he thinks about calling the police, but he doesn't. I just wanted to stop and ask you, like, what do you think of this like real world murder from this company? Like, I don't know. To me, it like turned the stakes up. Yeah, right? this is that's exactly what it is. Is this moment like puts made actual crazy stakes in the movie because before or in the story in the movie in the story because yeah. before this there was you know it was just oh hopefully he gets to it first and wins the prize, but now it's like he's he's gonna die and there's this like antagonistic force that's pushing again other than just solving the puzzles and getting there and yeah and, and antagonist is the right word i think it really it really it introduces the primary antagonist of this novel who up to this point we haven't heard much about and and how it's real life and death stuff going on and that you know he's gonna he potentially could be killed for for going after this yeah which up to then hasn't been a thing so yeah and like because because he knows that since he didn't give them the information they're just going to go down the list he decides to like reach out to everybody that's on the list yeah so they set up a meeting with what they're uh what we learn later is called the high five which is these five names that are appeared now and they set up a secret meeting in the basement in h's basement and they arrive and uh he's there with h hanging out and then artemis is the next to arrive and what i thought is one of the shittiest moments <laughs> where when i was because like i said i was kind of hyper aware of it because i've heard all this criticism yeah when when she shows up she's like friendly with h and he gets like he says he gets really like crazy jealous because he he wants her all to himself and like that's just such a shitty thing like the idea that like that possessiveness you know what i mean that, like that's such an entitled thing and the idea that she, you know he is jealous of her just having a friendly moment with age um it was pretty shitty but yeah i can definitely see that but there's definitely the idea that like he's like oh I've, he's like falling for this person even though but, you know he's just obsessed with her and like that yeah that would and he's happen. a teenager exactly it's important to remember he's, he's like 17 at this moment and yeah like i'm not saying it's unbelievable yeah you know what i mean it's just it is kind of shit it is definitely possessive um but yeah it's like the idea yeah. that like he's like He's obsessed, obviously. It's not like it's just like he likes her or something. Like he's weirdly obsessed. Right. And then it like kind of turns into right. a normalish thing. It's kind of creepy, I guess, is where I'm also going. Yeah. Like this is the kind of behavior that can lead to people being stalkers and be in like being legitimately dangerous. If you get to the point where you don't want someone else to talk to anyone else. You know what I mean? Like that's potentially scary shit. So yeah, that was a moment where I was like, Ooh, I can see why people get turned off by that for sure. 
Next up, we meet uh, Daito and Shoto, and they arrive together. And uh, Shoto reveals that, uh, I believe it's Shoto, uh, Daito is Shoto's little brother. Is that right? Yes. That's what he says, yeah. Wait, no, the other way around. Other way around? That's what I was wondering. So so Shoto is Daito's little brother? Yes. Anyway. Um, So they they kind of all reveal things they've learned. The Sixers have arrived on Ludus. They've set up this force field around the tomb. And they're keeping everyone out, and now they're, like, starting to go in and and play Joust. Um, Wade reveals what happens to him and how their operation works. We also learned that they have a setup where different users can, like, swap in and take over different avatars. And so because of that, they can cheat and put in, like, their best Joust player can just, like, keep doing Joust while other people then take the avatar that has the key and use them to go on to the next thing. Right. So they're essentially playing, like, with unlimited numbers against people who are skilled. Exactly. So they're cheating, but, you know, it's like you can't stop it from happening in this setup. They all kind of give their own stories about, like, how they defeated the Lich, and they they all kind of hate how what the Sixers are doing. And then they consider having an alliance, but it ends up turning into a big argument because they're all solos and they all have like their pride. It makes Daito and Shoto log out because they're just like, nope, we're not going to we're not going to be in alliance with you. We're competing with you. Um, And H is like kind of a dick about it. And then so they just leave. And then, yeah, there's a weird moment where some comics topple over in the corner and H is like, ah, it's just a glitch. Don't worry about it. So I forgot that that happened. um, Yeah. That that is yeah. something that stood out to me when I read it, but I forgot that that happened. That's definitely going to be something. Yeah, so you're like that's got to be something, right? No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to theorize about what you haven't read the end? Some yet, sort so. of like lingering spirit of the holiday. Okay. Lingering. Okay. Programming or spirit, or he's watching, or or maybe the other guy that helped make it is in there doing something. Could be. Could also just be IOI. IOI is like fully invaded or something. Or spying on yeah. them okay so i won't reveal anything <laughs> um high scores have now now are updated to show that the ioi's are in the final five slots so it's the high five plus then just all ioi numbers um sorrento is the top ioi user and uh then we hear about this kind of crazy thing that's happening on the planet where all of the all of the gunter clans are arriving and like raging war on this on this force field trying to penetrate it um, the clans are all like joining forces with each other and, and someone ends up, uh, blowing it up with like this crazy bomb. Um, it's like this big free for all now on the planet. Um, Wade learns that, the in real life, the, uh, the explosion in the stacks has been covered up as a meth lab explosion. And so that no one really cares. Um, but in back in the in the in the simulation, they are able to take down the the, the force field, and people start going in and battling. Well, you can't battle because it's not PvP zone, but they're like like they're just going in and like the IOI is like trying to make it hard for them to get in. But there's just sheer numbers are able to do it, and so people start start completing it, and like more names start getting added. But the IOI was able to do like sixty um, before it, before it comes out. And we find out that what happens is if you enter with more than one person at the same time, then like multiple copies of the Lich spawn. Um, and so that's how more than one person is able to do it per day. Yeah. So back in real life, uh, Wade decides he needs to go to Columbus, which we learn is also where IOI is located. Um, and that's because it's this like Mecca of like tech and there's all this power and like the best internet connection to the Oasis, like the closer you are to it, the better connection you're going to have. He on his way. He, so he buys a bus ticket, hops on a bus, and on his way there, he is able to use the money he has to get onto the black market 
and like clear his prof- his citizen profile with the government and literally change to like change his identity um, and create a false identity. And he's doing this to protect himself from the IOI, yeah. who's proven that they're willing to. He's kill going him. on the run, and he's got considerable funds from all of his sponsorships. You can pull money out of the Oasis to be real life money as well as vice versa. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I, uh, Oasis funds are like worth more than the dollar now. So he also rents an apartment on the way and sets it up so that he can get there. And he's and um, he arrives and he gets to his new apartment, which is this tiny little like concrete square. Um, feels like he's having a panic attack because he's realizing that he's this fugitive on the run and that his life's in danger. But he goes inside and he and he sets up his his new rig that he orders online and he closes the door and he's like he vows that he's basically not going to leave this room until he completes the contest and gets the egg. Yeah, so that's the end of level one. Uh, so yeah, what are your what's your final thoughts about this this first part here with him kind of like kicking off the contest and getting getting the first through the first gate and everything? Like, what's your what's your takeaway? It really pulled me in, and like I, I like I'm really invested in the characters now, and I want to know what happens next and and where we're going. I think it's awesome that he's like rich now and he has all these funds to like make himself safe and like and like like you know basically like have a different identity yeah it's like it's 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 rags to rags to riches it's the the stakes have been turned up you know it's life and death now he's on the run Uh, there's just a lot of cool moving stuff happening at this point in the story we've got all the major players we have the scoreboard i think this is a really approachable book you know like this is a low barrier for entry and i'm not saying that as an insult i think this is a book that a lot of people can enjoy and recognize and, and and participate in and yeah it's a lot of fun um part two gets into some crazy new areas and i'm excited to get to that i guess we should go ahead and say how we're going to cover it our uh, our initial plan was to do one and two together but we just learned we realized that it's just too much so we have actually read part two but we're gonna we're gonna do that in a separate episode um that's we're gonna release as a bonus episode um on monday which we don't normally do so this episode you're listening to now will have released on thursday yeah, it'll be a bonus in the fact that it's basically like it's just an extra episode. It's not like it's a bonus bonus episode that you shouldn't listen to. It's still going to be part of our full coverage of the of the book. Yeah, part two will release on Monday, and then part three will be our regular release, which is on Thursday. Um, that's just because we wanted to do it all justice. You know, we didn't want to rush anything too much. So it's just more content. So hopefully you'll come along for that. Um, that's our plan for how we're going to do it. So yeah, Monday, assuming that we're able to do it in time, there's a chance we, we don't release it till Tuesday, but hopefully Monday. All right, so if you'd like to keep in contact with us, the best way to do it is to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, at ink to film We are on Twitter, at ink to film And we are on Instagram, also at ink to film uh, Definitely connect with us on there. I, I'd love to, to talk with you about this, and you can uh, you can also send us feedback uh, to our uh to our email address, which is inktofilm at gmail.com. And, I mean, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can subscribe and tell others to subscribe and also uh, rate and review. Leaving reviews is really helpful on any site that you you do it on, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere helps us out. And uh, lastly, we just want to say thank you to Audible for our affiliate link. Again, that affiliate link is audibletrial.com forward slash inktofilm. Yeah, and I also wanted to thank crown publishing group who provided us with our books that we gave out and with our copies of our movie posters that we're going to be giving out and once again if you could if you wanted to win those or have a chance to win those uh sign up for our newsletter our our newly minted newsletter and you will get a shot you will automatically be entered uh to win that assuming you're in the contiguous u.s states
Yeah, and thank you to Techno Axes Royalty Free Music for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, that's it for level one. We hope you join us again for level two. Until then, I'm Luke. And I'm James. You've completed the first gate. <laughs>